The following is a message from Pastor Kelly Hewitt and Live It, a ministry of St. Marcus. For more information or for message notes, go to www.liveitmke.org. Tonight our message series continues. Last week we kicked off a new series, the series called Scandal, where we're taking a look at the events leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, and how each of those events, if they took place today, would be the equivalent of a national scandal. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, as we start out, we, we need to define the way we're using the word scandal. Because I don't want you to be thinking of the tabloids that you may see at the supermarket when you're getting your groceries. Last night, I think the top article was Princess Kate was go, goes into premature labor or something like that. That's not the kind of scandal I'm talking about, the thing where people are making up details to sell a paper. Scandal, an event which offends our expectations. This is using Webster's definition, except for Webster adds in the word something that offends our moral or biblical expectations. I thought that was interesting, that it included biblical expectations. And so as we're taking a look at the things that are leading up to Jesus' death and resurrection... What are the events? What are the things that are so offensive? Things that offend everything in our nature. And tonight we're talking about the betrayal. So the thing I wanted you to ask, that I asked you to think about before the service began was, who's the greatest traitor of all time? How many of you actually Googled it? Nobody? All right, we'll see if you get the right answer. Go ahead, who wants to say it? Who's the greatest traitor? Judas? If you had to list somebody else, who's a 21st century great trader? Benedict Arnold. Okay. Brett Favre. <laughs> I wondered if that one was going to come out. Okay. Okay. You could say Snowden. You go through all these different people. Huffington Post, USA Today, MSNBC, at least these are the ones when I Googled it. All of these list, who do you think is the greatest traitor in history? Who do they think they list? They all list Judas. They all list Judas as the top trader in history, which I find fascinating because if they're going to list him as the top trader in history, that means they then have to acknowledge the only existence of him as a person in history is in the scriptures, which means they then, in fact, have to believe that the scriptures have to be historical if they are going to list him as the greatest trader of all time, which in many of their other articles they will go on to say we're not quite sure. But they all list Judas as the greatest trader. Why? Why? It's a simple answer. Who was he? He was a disciple. He was one of Jesus' BFFs. If he was on the news feed with, with Facebook, he would be that person whose, whose thing you'd always see because you always were commenting on them. 
That would be the person, even though you have 600 friends. How many of you have noticed you don't actually see comments from all 600 friends or 2,000 friends? You actually only see the friends that you click like on something that they do or they like something that you do. That's the only friends you actually get to see, so Facebook actually sorts your friends for you. So this is one of the guys who's in the the inner circle, and he betrays Jesus. So this is, okay, we're done, right? We know the story. Brian summed it up for us. We heard it in the Passion history, what the events that actually took place were. And yet tonight, as we take a look at it, we have to dig into a picture that is very, very saddening and disheartening. And I want to put in the back of your mind a question as we begin. Three years prior to his betrayal, when Judas started following Jesus, do you think his plan from the beginning was to betray him? He spent three years living and following this guy all over the stinking Middle East. He walked hundreds and thousands of miles with this guy. I put that in the back. I want that to be one of those things that we begin thinking about. Because before we're too harsh on Judas, we have to realize he didn't start believing with the concept that he was going to end up betraying. And so as we dig in, we dig into Matthew chapter 26. Judas the betrayer. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot. He's from, Iscariot is the Greek word for hazer, which is the place that you hear about regularly right now that is being bombed regularly by Hezbollah and the people in the Gaza Strip. It's at the very southern, 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 southernmost tip of Israel, that little piece of Israel that nobody actually realizes is actually part of Israel down near the sea. So that's where he was from. He's the only one of the twelve not from Galilee or Judea, or from the north. He's the only one. So you want to talk about it. All the other guys were classmates and friends. They grew up together. This guy's an outsider from the beginning. He's an outsider who grew up on the nether outer regions of the land of Israel. He went to the chief priest and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? What are you willing to give me? Backing up, Jesus had recently raised Lazarus from the dead. And at that point, it became very well known that the chief priests and the teachers of the law and everybody in the ruling council were planning to secretly abduct Jesus and to kill him. We talked about that last week. The following words, right after Matthew records those words, Judas seeks them out and asks, what's he worth to you? What are you going to give me for betraying him? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. So who's our mathematicians? If you are not a mathematician, pull out your phone and get your calculator because we need to do some math. 30 silver coins are the equivalent of 120 days' wages. So if we're going to say a denarii is a day's wage, let's just say that's $100 because I like round figures. $100 a day times 120 days. How much is that? $3,600? 100 times 120. This is why I'm not doing the math. 12,000, right? Should be about 12,000-ish. 
That was the math I did the first time, and somebody said, no, that's, you got to triple that number. So $12,000, that was the cash price, Twelve grand. 12 grand for Jesus. For the guy that you have been spending the last three years following around Israel. Slept under the stars, have seen, different, seen him raise the dead, and somewhere in the last couple months, everything went south for you. We don't know at which point it happened for Judas. We don't know where all of a sudden his faith dropped off. We are told in one of the other gospel writers that Satan entered him. This was something that was foretold. This is something that was going on within him that he was fighting, that he was fighting this faith that he'd been given. He had belief and that some point along the way he began a plan to betray. Sometimes we, like Judas, plan betrayal. Sometimes we, like Judas, have this thought in our mind that there's this sin we want to commit. And we don't go out with the thought that, hey, I'm going to go commit the sin and betray Jesus. We go with the thought, this is going to feel good. Or halfway through the events, we're going, ah, this was probably a really stupid idea because we had planned to put ourselves in a bad situation. And we end up planning to betray Jesus. Today, this afternoon, I got to read a very, very sad, disheartening blog. Some of you may have seen it because they may be a friend of yours. It's a blog by a, a young person who grew up going to church. Grew up going to grade schools and high schools and even a Lutheran college and has recently had this epiphany that it's all for nothing and God really doesn't matter and basically has written her manifesto of why she doesn't believe anymore and why you shouldn't believe either. She, was, she pulled a Judas. She didn't begin with a plan to betray, but she ended up writing out her betrayal. We're going to talk a little bit more about her in a few moments. You see, Judas gets the big downfall, right? Because he accepted 30 or 12 grand for his betrayal, right? He planned it. He sought it out. He went and, and said, I'm going to hand Jesus over to you. He doesn't matter to me. I don't know if it was because all of a sudden he figured the ship's going down. So guess what? I might as well get some cash out of it. And guess what? If I hand him over, that means they're not going to arrest me, which means they're not going to kill me because if they're planning to arrest and to kill Jesus, guess what's the way you handle an insurrection? How do you handle a mutiny? You kill the leader and who else? His generals. The top most outspoken people, which would have been the 12. So if you notice, when, when we read the section a little, bit, a little while ago, when they came to arrest Jesus, they actually came to arrest them all. And Jesus actually then said, take me, not them. Judas's plan was to buy himself out of dealing with the Pharisees and the chief priests. His plan was to say, I want to buy my freedom. Don't punish me. And in doing so, he became labeled as the greatest traitor in the history of the world. And yet there's another traitor who was there that evening. There was another traitor who was actually standing with him when all of this took place. Go ahead. Peter, the betrayer. Do you ever think of Peter being the betrayer? We always name Judas, right? Judas is the one who handed Jesus over. And yet that evening, Judas wasn't the only one to betray. He's the one that we say, oh, that's the bad guy. Because 
probably all too frequently, we relate to Peter too closely. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. Go ahead. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. He then began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Did Peter plan to betray Jesus that night? No. What did we hear that he did just hours earlier? What did he do? He defended him. He's the one guy who pulls out his sword in the midst of an army who's coming to arrest Jesus. It says these were the chief priest guards. These would be armed like Roman soldiers. So he pulls his sword in the middle of a mass crowd and cuts off the high priest's servant's ear. He is a guy who has faith. You'd say he was being courageous. You would say he is defending the faith strongly. And yet here, when Two girls talk to him. That's the word used, is two young maidens. And the third is a group. What's his reaction? I don't know him. You're, you're confusing me. You're, you're, I'm not that guy. You see, sometimes we, like Peter, walk into danger that leads to betrayal. Peter's events of the evening, Jesus had already excused him. He had already run with the rest of them. He'd already left Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus goes off to trial, and Peter walks himself into danger. Peter walks himself into the courtyard, into the place where he put himself in a very bad situation, a place where he was going to be forced to either confess or betray. And what did he do? He betrayed. He didn't start the night saying, I'm going to betray Jesus. In fact, he started the night defending him. This is the picture of us sometimes, right? This is the sometimes where we get into the danger zone, where we begin putting work ahead of our time with God. Have you ever done that one? Where you begin working so many hours that you no longer have time for small group or community group. You no longer have time for service projects. You don't even have time for church. Because guess what? You need to be working. And you justify to yourself that this is, this, is, this is what I need to be doing. This is what God has put me here to do. And in the process, you end up betraying him and cutting him out of your life. You end up going to the party that you know from the beginning you probably should not have been at because you know what's going to go on at that party. And in the process, you, put, you have an option in the midst of that. You can either be a Peter and defend it, or, or deny and, and betray Jesus and have this picture of, of saying, I don't know, my lifestyle doesn't need to reflect that I love him. I can make these decisions, it's okay. I'm strong enough. You can be the person who plays in so many softball leagues or kickball leagues 
and nobody on the team knows that you're the Christian because you're just as drunk and just as swearing as everybody else on the team. Peter and Judas. And sometimes we're like both of them, right? Sometimes it's hard because you get this gut reality check. How did I get here? I don't want to be here. What did Peter do? He went out and he wept bitterly. I didn't want to get here. I didn't want to end up betraying Jesus. Reading through that blog this afternoon, having someone email it to me saying, Pastor, how do I respond? Where did we go wrong as friends? Because guess what? That young lady who wrote the blog, she didn't start her faith walk saying, someday I'm going to betray But at some point, she made the tip. She surrounded herself with people with philosophies and with those who are outside the church, those who are outside being positive influences who point her back to Jesus that she put herself in a dangerous place and now she's walking in that dangerous place. Thankfully, as far as I know, God hasn't ended her time of grace. And tonight we're going to have a prayer for her. But you see how simple it is? It starts with nobody saying, I'm going to betray Jesus. It starts with us starting to make poor decisions. That then we just give in to the next decision, and the next decision, and the next decision. And before we know it, there's the question, how did I get here? Peter asked that question. Judas, it took way too long for him to ask that question. And when he got to the point that he did ask the question, he didn't have people around him to say, This next line. Go ahead and put it up there. The scandal. Put it up there. Fill in the scandal. God betrayed his son for us. From the sixth hour to the ninth hour. Darkness covered over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus from the cross screams out, God, why have you betrayed me? Have you ever realized that the greatest scandal, the greatest betrayal in history is the betrayal of God betraying his own son because he loves you? He turned his back on his own son and his son endured the entire wrath that God had. The entire wrath that God had for sinners. The entire wrath that God had for sin which corrupted his perfect world and he put it against his son and his son had to bear it all for you and for me. It's the message of grace. Not because we've earned it. Not because we've deserved it. Not because we, we, we are so great but because when we've fallen, when, we are Peter in, when, we've, when we're Peter in the midst of that courtyard and we decide that we've made bad choices and we've made bad choices and we find ourselves in the heap of betraying Jesus and we go out and we weep and we confess, he says to you, I've forgiven you. You need not despair. You need not be Judas who, who was so overwhelmed with everything that happened that he felt that nothing could bring him back, that God could not love him enough. And yet, the very message of the cross 
is exactly that, that God loves you so much that he betrayed his own son to buy you back. Go ahead. 700 years before, Isaiah wrote these, 700 years before Jesus died, Isaiah wrote these words. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. We considered him nothing. We considered his message foolishness. That gal who wrote the blog, this is what she's saying. I don't think he was right. I can't conceive a God who would allow such things. And here's what he says. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was pierced for the times where we knowingly betrayed him. That's what that passage says. For the times we knowingly planned out our betrayal. For the times that we, for our iniquities, crushed for our iniquities, those things that we don't realize we have done. The times where we end up being Peter and we end up being so far along and then we go, oh crud, what have we done? And he brings us back and he says, by his wounds you are healed. He gives us this healing, this peace. Go ahead. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. This is that lie that Satan loves to tell us. That Satan loves to tell us that we are, that our own thinking is right. Whenever you read somebody's manifesto, guess what word is the most common word in the entire document? I think. I believe. This is what I'm considering. I can only understand it as such and such. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us to his own way. Sheep, if you did not have a shepherd with them, would literally walk off the side of a mountain. They would not realize that there is a vertical drop. They don't have depth perception. They don't get it. They will literally walk straight off the edge and die. They're dumb. And that's the picture God uses of us. If left to ourselves, if left to our own thinking, we too will do this. And that's what happens is, that's what happened with Peter. He, he went with his own thinking. He thought, I can handle this. That's what happened to Judas in his betrayal. He thought, I need to fix this for myself because I don't know if Jesus is going to be able to get himself out of this one and I need to CYA, cover my own rear. And after suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous service, servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great And he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He bore the sins so that you and I would be numbered even though we were the ones who did the betraying, even though we still sometimes struggle with that. He says... I've borne that for you. I've forgiven you. And that has daily implications. Because that means you get to live as one who's been forgiven. You get to have that joy that God no longer holds this against me. That he loves me. And he cares for me. And he has great plans for me. As you walk through the scandal, the greatest scandal we see is that God betrayed his son for us so that we may experience his grace. 
as you go about this week, I have three challenge questions for you. And these are questions for you to ponder, questions for you to consider. They're at the bottom of your page. As you reflect on the fact that Christ has been betrayed and taken your sins upon himself and given you the forgiveness of your sins, write down and openly verbalize what is one way that you've betrayed him. Guess what? He already knows it. This is just an exercise for you to verbalize it and for you to stop carrying it around with you and to truly lay it at his cross. Who has betrayed you that you need to love and forgive? It's a challenge question, probably the hardest one up there, is to actually forgive the one who's betrayed you. And what does your life look like this week knowing Christ has paid for your betrayal? What's it look like? Does that change how you interact with people? Does that change how you reflect his love and how you live out his love? Because he has forgiven your sins. Amen.